Uh, so I have a question. I guess it's kind of a poll. Uh, how many of you, does anyone like Harry Potter? Okay, okay. If you don't like Harry Potter, that's okay. I'm not mad at you. I'm not judging you. I'm just curious. Um, I am a Harry Potter fan. But my wife, Haley, on the other hand, um, up until recently, has not been. Uh, I've, I've read the books a couple times. I've seen the movies. And Haley had seen, I think, uh, one movie, maybe. She knows a pretty important character dies at some point, but that's about it. And so I had been encouraging her and pushing her to read the books. And she's like, I don't have enough time. I can't do it. So I took it into my own hands to make sure that she would be able to go through the series of Harry Potter. So I placed a hold on the audio CDs at the library. You guys don't use the public library, but I do now. And I, when it came in, I went, I checked out the audio CDs for the Sorcerer's Stone. I came home and I handed it to Haley and I said, here you go. You're going to listen to this on your 30-minute drive to and from work every day because you love me. And it worked. Uh, she actually is getting ready to start the third book uh, coming up. So she's in it. It's, it's been fun. I've been actually listening to it right after she does. So she'll finish a CD and hand it to me, and then I'll listen to it. And, and I, if you guys haven't listened to the, the audio CDs for Harry Potter and you love Harry Potter, yeah, you get me. They're amazing. This narrator, he does all the voices, and it's, guys, it's awesome. You have to listen to it. Um, but it's funny because even though I know Harry Potter, it's fictional, right? It's not real. I get completely immersed in the story when I'm listening to it in the car. I get, like, totally fixated and absorbed by the characters and the plot and everything that's going on. And, and it's funny because... At the same time, I know in my head that, that most of, if not all of, most of the characters aren't real, right? The creatures aren't real. There's, there's witches and wizards and, and there's goblins and there's werewolves and there's centaurs. And all of these, they make, they make Harry Potter great. But, but we all know, I'm sure, whether you like Harry Potter or not, we could all say that those creatures, they're not real, right? Hopefully, we can all agree that they're nothing more than the creation of someone's imagination. And this isn't just Harry Potter, right? All, any fictional book or movie or TV show, they all have these fictional characters and these creatures. And that's great and that's good. But I've realized a problem with that. And and the problem is, is that I think that our culture has taken biblical characters and they've, they've wrapped them, they've tied them in to that same category as your goblins and your demogorgons. And <clears throat> I bring that up because tonight we're actually finishing up our sermon series in 1 Peter. And we're going to see Peter ends his letter with a warning he ends it with a warning about the devil. And if, if I say the devil, wh what do you think about? Well, you know, what culture says, and the easy thing to think about is, is a man 
that's red with horns and a trident and a tail, right? That's, that's what our culture, that's what cartoons portray the devil as. But the warning that we're going to look at tonight from Peter, it's, it's not a red man with a trident and horns. The, the warning that Peter gives us tonight, it's serious. It's a really serious warning. And, and I want us to look at that and, and know that going into it. So let's just start. Let's jump in to our Bibles. So if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Verse 8 says this. It says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What if I ask you another question? When was the last time that someone talked about, let alone warned you, about the devil? I'm, I'm sure that probably maybe wasn't recent. And if it was, it probably doesn't happen that often, right? And and I think because of that, this can be an easy verse. If we're reading it by ourselves, it can be a really easy verse to pass over. We don't talk like this. We don't use this kind of language, this, this talk of demons and the devil. That's for radicals, right? That's, that's not for us. That's not who we are. We're, we're reasonable. We're intelligent people, right? And... Because we don't talk about this, I'm sure the fact that I've said the devil and demons probably like six times now, it's made some of you uncomfortable. It's made you a little uncomfortable, and, and I want to say that's okay. I, <laughs> I'd be lying if I didn't say that part of me standing up here talking about the devil, it's, it's, a, little, it's a little uncomfortable, it's a little uneasy, because this isn't part of our regular day-to-day conversation. The Bible, on the other hand, the Bible is very comfortable talking about the devil. Jesus himself was comfortable. Jesus talked about demons. He taught about demons. He cast out demons. So if you and I, if we take the Bible seriously... If we believe that the Bible is telling the truth, then don't we have to believe also that the devil is real? And we believe, as Peter said, we believe that he is our enemy. Uh, C.S. Lewis is a, a Christian British author. He's from the 20th century. I'm, I'm sure some of you have, have heard of him or read his books. He wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, the Narnia movies, I haven't seen them, but if you have, that was him. Um, he also wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. And he's got these really awesome few lines in the introduction of this book. So I want to read them to you. C.S. Lewis says this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. So Lewis says that that we can make two mistakes, right? We can make two mistakes when it comes to the devil or to spiritual enemies. We We can obsess over them 
or we can, we can disbelieve their existence. We can believe that they're not real. Now, I, <laughs> I don't know this for sure, obviously, but if I had to guess, that I would say most of us in here tonight would fall into the second category. I think most of us would lean towards disbelief. And, and when I say disbelief, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying formally. What I'm saying is that we disbelieve practically. I think practically, the way that we live our lives day to day does not tend to be as if our enemy is the devil. Our, our roommate might seem like our enemy. Our, our boss or <laughs> our teacher, our professor might seem like our enemy, but not the devil. It's not even a thought that probably crosses our mind often throughout our days, if ever. And that is why, this is why I think that it's so important tonight. It's crucial to discuss who Peter says our enemy is. The devil is our enemy. And, and I want us to look at and see and hear what Peter talks about, what he does, how he works. So for the rest of our time, all we're going to do is we're going to answer three questions. We're going to answer the questions, who does the Bible say that the devil is? What does he do? And what does that mean for our lives? So who does the Bible say that the devil is? Well, if we go back and we look at the first appearance of the devil, we would have to go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 3. So Genesis, the first book, God has just created everything, and he says it's good. Adam and Eve are there. They're married. They are caring for God's creation, his creatures, and it's good. And all of a sudden, a serpent comes along into the scene. And, and long story short, this serpent, it convinces Eve to disobey and rebel against God. The serpent is in rebellion against God, and he wants to lead humans to do the same. He lies to Eve. He convinces her to sin against God. You see, from the beginning, this, this serpent, he was out to deceive. He was out to deceive and cause human beings to disobey God and to sin to fail to love God and others. And this is just the first, Genesis 3 is just the first of many places throughout our Bible that we hear about this serpent. But he goes by a wide array of names. As we saw already in 1 Peter, Peter calls him the devil, which in Greek means deceiver. Other places he's identified as Satan, which means adversary. He's called the evil one, the tempter. The gospel of John uh, in chapter eight, Jesus says this about him. Jesus says, he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So all these names they're used to describe this one being, our enemy, the devil. 
And we know now that who he is, let's ask the question, what does he do? So if we go back and we look at our first Peter verse again, we can see Peter's clear about what he does. He says this uh, again in verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. As we just said, Peter knew the the devil means deceiver. He seeks to trick and to cheat people. He's a tempter. He entices people to sin, the devil. He lies. And because Peter knew this, Peter knew this about the devil, he's warning the exiles and he's warning us, his readers, that our enemy, the devil, guys, he's dangerous. That's what Peter wanted them to know. That's what he was trying to get across. Like a lion hunting his prey, the devil's goal is to devour, to make human beings believe lies, to believe that we can or we should be like God. Satan wants us to worship anything but our true God. This is the picture that Peter is trying to give to the exiles. This devil is seeking to devour, to distract to discourage people from loving and serving God. Now, I may be stating an obvious when I say that we could never create a list of all the ways that Satan is at work. But I do want us to think tonight about a few ways that it might look like him being at work in our lives. I want us to ask the question, how is the devil deceiving us and leading us to sin against God, just like he did with Eve. What lies is the devil telling us that we're tempted to believe that are just untrue? And Jesus warned us against that. Maybe the lie for you comes with self-worth. Is Satan telling you the lie that you're not worthy to be loved? Does he use social media or the comparison in your mind to others to make you feel inadequate, to make you feel unworthy? You're not able to be loved as much as the people that you compare yourselves to. Is Satan deceiving you with busyness? I uh, had a friend once tell me, he said, if the devil doesn't make you bad, he makes you busy. And and now busyness by itself is, is not a sin, but is your busy schedule leading you to say no to or to push aside and not prioritize your relationship with Jesus? Is your busyness leading you to not read your Bible, to not pray, to not have conversations with others? Does your day-to-day actions reveal that everything else on your schedule is more important to you than your relationship with God? What about the devil's lie of apathy? We know what apathy means, right? How do you view the sin in your life? Do you take the ways that you fall short faithfully seriously? What does that look like? Are there areas of sin in your life that you've become hardened or calloused to? 
Is it abusing alcohol or gossip or lust or judgment of others? To add on to that, Satan's trying to convince you and saying, it's not that big a deal, right? Or it doesn't actually matter, does it? Guys, that's exactly what he wants us to believe. That's exactly what he wants us to think. That sin, it's not a big deal. It's okay. It doesn't really matter. And un- unfortunately, we can't, we can't name all the ways that Satan is deceiving us, that he's lying to us, but he, he is, guys. I believe that he is. And through his deceptions and his lies, he's leading us to live for ourselves, to worship ourselves or anything other than our God. But once again, if we believe that the Bible is true and Peter's warning really is true, then we need to consider the severity of this fight. We need to think about the importance of this fight with the devil and sin in our lives. We need to be reminded daily, daily of this fight. We need to remember and we need to believe that we have an enemy Guys, I'm here to say we have an enemy. And Peter says that enemy is seeking to devour. So if the devil really is seeking to devour, to kill us, what are we supposed to do? What are you and I supposed to do? How are we going to fight him faithfully? What does that mean? What does that look like in our lives? Well, if we turn back to our text in in verse 8 and 9, Peter says this again. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Peter's first warning, he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Be watchful. Heads up. Look out. I don't know if if we have any golfers in here. If we do, if you're a golfer, if you're not, what does someone say on the golf course when they hit a ball and it's going towards other people? Okay, actually interactive. I like this. Exactly. Whether you're a golfer or not, you know that if you're on the golf course, someone hits a ball poorly, probably, or impatiently, one of those two, and it's going towards other people, they are supposed to yell for. Why are they supposed to yell for? They're supposed to yell for because there's danger in the form of a golf ball coming at someone on the course, right? That's obvious. We know that. So if you're on the golf course and and someone yells for, what do you do? Well, it's probably smart to react, right? To pick up your head and look around, to cover your head, to do something. You're going to become alert. You're going to become aware. And when someone yells for, you're going to prepare yourself for the potential and the possible and the probable danger that's coming at your head, right? And and guys, this is what, that's what Peter's doing in this. Peter is yelling for To his audience, he's yelling, heads up, look out, be alert, because he knows 
that danger is coming for them. He knows that danger is coming for us. He goes on to say in verse 9, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. The, the encouragement Peter is giving to resist the devil and stand firm in the faith, it doesn't sound like an easy task at hand, right? Well, that's because it's not. But what's important to note is, is the Greek for the command to resist him, when Peter wrote that, that was plural, not singular. This, this encouragement from Peter it's on an individual level, yes. But more than that, this is a group effort. It's a group fight. This is a communal battle meant for us to fight together with each other side by side. So um, life update, uh, Veritas staff like to share about their dogs. So uh, my wife Haley and I, actually got our first puppy in January. Her name is Zara. Uh, she's a golden retriever. I think there might be pictures. It's hard to see. Um, yes, but we got our first puppy, and um, like most false expectations in my life, uh, I thought, had never having had a puppy before, that they're cute and they're fluffy, and you cuddle with them and they lick your face. And, and it's great, right? Because when you see puppies, that's exactly what they do. Why wouldn't my puppy do the exact same thing, right? Wrong. I was completely wrong. I kid you not, guys, for the first two and a half months, she was a complete terror. She, she's still a work in progress, but she's getting a lot better. She would pee everywhere all the time. She would poop everywhere all the time and then try to eat her poop. Still does that. She would, oh my gosh, guys, she would bite. She would just bite and bite and bite. And if you've ever felt puppy teeth, they're literally like little razor blades, like in her mouth. And any time she bites you, it hurts so bad. It got to the point that instead of coming home and being like, oh, I'll kick off my shoes and relax and watch sports, no, <laughs> I felt like I was coming home to an enemy in the form of a 10-pound, cute, little, fluffy puppy, right? It got to the point that anytime I went home, I instantly changed into sweatpants, had socks on, long sleeve shirt, so that I could cover the most surface area of my skin so that if she bit me, it was going through another layer. It actually, true story, got to a point where I would carry around a towel and, and I would keep the towel between her and I so that if she tried to bite me, I had something to hand to her because the toys weren't working. And so I would just walk around and hold this towel out. I would hold it out so that she wouldn't bite me. I looked like a bullfighter or an idiot. I don't know. I just looked silly. <laughs> and, and guys, I, I'll tell you now, I, I loved her. I love her now. I loved her then. She was my enemy. I'm being serious. And... And with an enemy, you have to keep your guard up, right? You have to be on alert. Because what happens if you let your guard down? Like the time that I was cooking in our kitchen and I was standing over the stove and not paying attention to Zara and I wore shorts. What did she do? She lunged at my Achilles and she bit 
hit and snapped my Achilles. And guys, it hurt so bad. I was so mad at this puppy because I couldn't get anything done at home without having to focus at least most of my attention on her. I was so distracted. I was so in defense mode any time that I was at home. But thankfully, Haley and I also quickly realized that when we were both there, like combating, I guess is the word, Zara was much easier. Handling Zara or fighting against her was so much easier when we were able to do it together. It was more doable. If we had more people over, it got even easier because we could share with everyone and play the game of fight Zara. <laughs> it's funny, but I'm serious. And, and it actually made it to where Haley and I, we realized that, that what Peter is saying, it's so true for our own lives. To be alert and to be watchful against an enemy is difficult, and it's so hard to do it alone. And that's why we realized we needed teamwork. We need to work together. Haley and I, just like all of us in here tonight, we need others to be alert with us, to resist, to stand firm, to fight our enemy together. What, what does that look like in your life? How can you individually and communally be alert to resist and fight Satan and his lies, his temptations, his deceptions? How can you resist and stand firm against the busyness and, and the lies that we hear that we have to do more, we have to be involved more, we have to study more. Maybe you need to cut something out of your schedule. Maybe it means committing to less next semester so that we can make room for prioritizing small group, that we can make room for prioritizing our relationship with God, our relationship with others seeking after God alongside us. One way we can resist sin is, is to flee from temptation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians multiple times, he says, flee from sexual immorality, flee from idolatry. So if you follow someone or a group on social media and, and when you see them, they make you doubt your worth and they make you feel like just sick, then maybe... You need to unfollow that group or that person. If going out with a certain group of friends, if hanging out with a certain group of buddies or gals at a certain amount of time, certain time of the day of the week leads you to make jokes that are inappropriate, to abuse alcohol, maybe you say no, you flee, you avoid that situation, you find an alternative. You stop putting yourselves in the situation saying, okay, this time it's going to be different. This time I can have one more drink. Or this time when I hang out with my boyfriend or my girlfriend or that guy or girl late at night and we decide we're going to watch a movie, we're not going to go too far. This time it's going to be different. No, guys, it's not going to be different. So leave, avoid those situations in your life. And, and I know me standing up here, I make it sound easier, right? Easier than it is, but 
part of this is knowing yourself, knowing your temptations, and being willing, willing to fight. Another way that we can resist the devil's temptations and lies and deceptions is to talk. Guys, it's so important to fight him, to have conversations. Find someone close to you. Share your life with a friend or a mentor or one of us on staff. Share with us the questions, the the insecurities or the sin, the struggles that you have in your life. Guys, you don't have to keep this stuff to yourself. Stop trying to do it by yourself. It's not meant to be done by ourselves. We need to let others in. And now I know, I know standing up here, I know when I say this, it can, it can seem overwhelming. And, and you could probably say, Justin, you just don't understand. It's, it's not that easy. And I would probably say you're absolutely right. I don't fully understand. And it's definitely not easy. But I also know that fighting the lies, fighting the temptations of the devil it's, it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be a process and it's not going to be perfected overnight. I know that this process, like we like to say, it's two steps forward, one step back, but I also know that we need to fight. We need to fight because Peter's warning is a big deal. Our sin, your and my sin, is a big deal the devil at work in our lives. Guys, that's a big deal. Satan, as Peter said, is dangerous. But when we fight the devil's sin, when we fight his temptations, it shows that we're saying no to him and we're saying yes to living as part of a bigger story. Guys, we're saying yes to trusting the Bible We're saying yes to living as a part of God's story. And the best news, the best news about God's story, Peter ends with assurance that the outcome of our life, it rests more on God's power and his grace than on our labors. If we look one last time at verse 10, we see Peter says, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Guys, this is good news. Peter tells us God has called us to his eternal glory, eternal. We must fight for a little while, But God's promise is he himself will restore us. By his power and his grace, God is going to make us strong and firm and steadfast. And so as as the music team comes back up, I I just want to close with this. If you believe that the Bible is true, then you have to believe that we have an enemy. His goal, our enemy's goal is to lie and to deceive and to murder. And because of that, 
we need to take this warning seriously and know that we are called today, tomorrow, to fight, to stand firm, and to resist him. And we need to unite. We need to come together as a community of people fighting, clinging to the truth of Scripture, and trusting God's promise that by his power and his grace, he will restore and strengthen. He will make us firm and steadfast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for giving us this opportunity to discuss a difficult topic, a difficult conversation, a difficult reality that, God, we have an enemy, the devil. God, we have an enemy that is seeking after us. He's looking for weaknesses, and he's looking for spots to attack to lie, to deceive, and to tempt. And so God, I pray that as we think of the ways that he is at work in our life, that you can give us a community, that you can give us people, that you can give us a person, that we can go through this, fight this battle, fight this fight against our enemy with them. God, we can do this together as a Veritas community, we can fight this fight knowing, God, that you, in the end, by your power and by your grace, will restore, strengthen, make firm, and steadfast. God, we love you, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen.